Hello and welcome to episode two of the Association Conversation Station, the official podcast of the Open University Students Association. This is the place to hear about the things that we do and the things that inspire us. We hope you'll enjoy it. Now, this is a special extra episode to celebrate our 50th birthday. The approval was given for the formation of an OU Student Association on the 16th of May 1972. So this is a very special time for us, and we thought we'd mark it with an extra podcast. You'll be hearing from Sir John Daniel, the former Vice-Chancellor of the Open University, our former President, Chris Rowworth, and the Association's Chief Executive Officer, Rob Van. Now, just to warn you, there are one or two glitches in the audio, but fear not, there are some fascinating stories to enjoy. Trust us, it's a really special podcast. Our host is our president, Sarah Jones. Sarah, over to you. Hello and welcome. My name is Sarah Jones and I am the president of the Students Association and I'd like to welcome you to the conversation station. Um, today we are going to be talking, uh, talking to some very special guests and celebrating what is our first 50th birthday. So I would like to introduce, the, introduce you first to Chris Walters. Chris, would you like to um, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are? Hello. Um, during the 80s, uh, I started studying with the OU um, and became involved in the fees, what was a fees and grants campaign then, a long time ago. Um, subsequently, I became the campaign director during the petition of which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, and then ultimately I became president in 1986 to 88. And, uh, and then in the 90s, I actually worked for the OU in the uh, southwest region. I'm now up in Buxton, Derbyshire and retired. Great. Thanks, Chris. John, over to you. Um, I'm John Daniel. I was the vice chancellor of the Open University from 1990 to 2001, which was a very interesting decade. Um, after that, I went off to UNESCO in Paris, and I'm now uh, in semi-retirement and living in Vancouver in Western Canada. So it's a great pleasure to take part in this. And um, I was thinking the other day that the Open University has always had a much better institutional memory than many organizations. And this is a wonderful expression of that. And Chris, I, I mean, it's really good that you're going back to the John Horlock era, because uh, you know, <laughs> I think I'm one of the ancient of days, but uh, you, you bring a perspective to this. And actually, that was a wonderful thing about um, about working at the OU, the, the Student Association and its, its um, officers had great longevity because OU students usually took a long time to graduate. So you had the same people that you were dealing with for a good bunch of time and that was very helpful compared to if you like normal universities where um, people tend to come and go every year anyway pleased to be with you thank you so much john and rob would you like to introduce yourself yeah hi um and thanks sarah for inviting us all and, and lovely to be with chris and john as well uh, on this podcast so i'm rob van um, i'm the association's current uh, chief executive so uh, my role really is to is to be the, the key sort of supporter to our elected president uh, of the day, 
um, and also to, to manage and look after the staff group um, that we have here at the association and all our volunteers um, and student leaders as well. Um, and I've been with the association now. This is my 10th anniversary, actually, this summer, um, the last eight in this in this current post. Um, so, yeah, real, real pleasure to be here today. Brilliant. Thank you so much. So I'm going to come to you first, Chris. What you mentioned one of one of the achievements and things that you worked on um, when you were a student rep. Can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit more for me? Well, when I was a student, the OU um, was government granted. It had a government grant um, and uh, I was involved in the fees and grants campaign to try and get part time students some recognition. Um, and that was when I first started to, to get involved. And then subsequently, um, we had a we had quite a wide range of uh, branch activists who were looking at the fees and grants campaign. So we already started to um, have some impact politically um, uh, across the whole of the country. So there was a good structure there. Um, and then subsequently, um, the because of it being government granted, we had a hostile government um, led by Mrs Thatcher, who, um, who really actually threatened uh, the... the, the um, existence of the OU and what we yeah. were trying to do was trying to make sure that um, the um, OU's pioneering work was not uh, undervalued and also yeah. preserving the OU um, for future students which uh, we obviously achieved because you're here today. <laughs> absolutely yeah absolutely yeah and that kind of work it was just so important as you say to students of our decade, it was incre you know, incredibly important because I can get funding for my for my degree and, you know, and I've been able to do that incredibly successfully. So it's great to hear of all that hard work that's gone into making my position a tenable position. John, is there anything that you can think of that was a great achievement by the Students' Association whilst you were Vice-Chancellor? Oh, yes, definitely. Um, I mean, first of all, the, uh, in those days, the, the, the Senate numbered over a thousand people. Oh, now, wow. They did, they did not show <laughs> up to meetings. Yeah. <laughs> a good attendance was about 300. But what was quite determining in those days was that the most assiduous attendees were the student members, of which are a fairly large number, and the associate lecturers. And if you got the associate lecturers and the students to, if you like, sing from the same sheet, if they were pushing for the same thing, it was pretty sure to pass, because the academics, especially the ones at Walton, also came in and out. Um, and, I mean, I'm not trying to be precious, but I think certainly it was a very strong policy of mind to if in doubt, back what the students want and Absolutely. also, yeah. if in doubt, support government initiatives. And I think it's interesting, Chris's comment, I mean, just to give a little historical perspective, mm -hmm. if you look at the first 30 years of the OU, um, you had, first of all, Walter Perry as vice chancellor, who was a brilliant yeah. sort of conceiver of the whole thing on the back of an envelope and so on. And then you had John Horlock, who really had the toughest time because he, as Chris has said, had the Thatcher era, 
yeah. which was not only a time when all universities got got hit by funding cuts, yes. but there was also this whole question of Marxist bias. Keith Joseph, yes. the Secretary mm. of State, had sort of sat up in bed reading OU course units in a selective manner and oh, came wow. to the conclusion that there was a serious Marxist bias problem. So he set up a visiting committee to sort of chase this rabbit through the thing, and it was really quite unpleasant. I say all that because <clears throat> when I pitched up in 1990, first of all, I'd come from um, many years in Canada, mm -hmm. so I was sort of new to the system, but I knew the OU very well indeed because I'd spent uh, three months there as a visiting lecturer way back in, 19, uh, in 1971, so I really felt very much at home there. And, and looking at it from an overseas perspective, I thought this was probably the most important thing that Britain had done in higher education you know, yes. since the Second World War. So I couldn't understand why government would not appreciate that. Mm -hmm. um, when I arrived soon after, they, they said they were going to do a review of the OU, probably because of the sort of work that Christian people had done of raising consciousness. We thought, because that's what they told us, that the, the idea was to see whether they should give the OU more money to take more students. Um, we later discovered that what it really was about was that they were preparing a big major reform of higher ed in, in Britain, yeah. which resulted in the Higher Education Reform Act of 1992. And they really wanted to figure out how they should position the OU within that. Anyway, as I said, because I came with a completely different perspective, I hadn't lived through the 30 years. I took the view that the OU had everything to gain by putting its cards on the table, cooperating fully with this review and so on and so forth. And um, I think the results, uh, the results speak for themselves. But so, so that was um, I think it's interesting, you know, Walter Perry, the pioneer, John Horlock, the hard slog. And frankly, yeah. I came in in a decade which which all the lights were green, and we. When I arrived, I think there were a hundred thousand students, and when I left eleven years later, there were over two hundred thousand. So it was wow. a great decade of expansion. That's really interesting. It's really interesting. I've got I, I've got an anecdote about Sir Keith Joseph, <laughs> if you want to hear it. When I Go met him, <laughs> um, well. Um, the, uh, Sir John Horlock had asked the students to uh, put forward uh, some people to meet Sir Keith Joseph because he, he eventually uh, came to visit the campus. And my, myself and uh, Iris uh, Price, who was now Keating, was the president at the time, um, and a few others met Sir Keith Joseph. Um, yeah. And uh, prior to that, the vice chancellor said to us, Right. Well, what you want to know is what you're studying and what you're doing. And um, so they got to me and I said, oh, well, I'm doing modern art and modernism. And they said, oh, oh, that's the one he's looking at for Marxist bias. So, so, so they said to me, just say you're doing social science. So I said, right, OK, fine. So, so it came to me and I said, I'm doing art and social science. Ah, he said, uh, which social science? Oh, At which no. point I, I, I couldn't, I, I had to tell him. You see, mm. so I said, he said, we're looking at that for Marxist bias. So I said, well, there isn't any Marxist bias. I can tell you um, personally. Yeah. Um, there, there is a Marxist perspective, but that's yeah. totally different. 
And then I came out and, <laughs> you know, I oh, wasn't God. quite sure where we were going with that one. But, um, but anyway, he took it uh, in, in, in good part, I think. So. Oh, good. That's it's just so interesting hearing all these stories. Um, and before I just move on to Rob, I just want to say that my dad studied with the Open University um, right near its conception and was in one of the first cohorts of students that graduated. Wow. And I remember growing up hearing about how wonderful the Open University was. And every time we drove into Wigan, we'd drive past his tutor's house and he'd go, that's where my tutor lives <laughs> and all of this kind of stuff. And I remember because my dad was a teacher and so he recorded the middle of the night programmes. And in school holidays, we'd be made to sit and watch them because it was educational. <laughs> so I remember all that from growing up, which is probably probably led to me wanting to be an open university student um so yeah it's kind of it's it's really interesting hearing other stories around that as well so thank you so much for those we'll come back to more of them in a minute are there any achievements that you would like to kind of say are really great achievements that the open university students association has had in your time well, so it's really interesting hearing uh, John and Chris talk about the sort of government policy issues of the day because, uh, you know, that's sort of continued. It feels like a theme and a thread that's almost run through the association's 50 years, in effect, because yeah. there's, there's always it's always been there, no matter what the government of the day or the, you know, the policy issues around it. And so when I first joined the association in 2012, it was just after... Uh, the tuition fee arrangements had uh, were coming okay. into place. That it was the year yeah. that they were uh, being introduced. And of course, for us and for the association at that time, there was a lot of discussion with the university around maintaining transitional arrangements to allow students who were studying on the on the on the old fee regime to complete their studies on those existing fees rather yeah. than with yeah. new fee arrangements. And that was a, a huge discussion, huge uh, you know amounts of work that went on from both sides in partnership to get that. Uh, you know done and achieved but but also you know we can't help but look at the fact that that took out so many students who were lifelong learners that were that were sort of the one sort of core area of the student population that effectively the the, the university and the association had to to sort of to lose over the over the coming years and i think we're still reeling from that a little bit as as the and the student body is changing and obviously it's getting younger and it you know new students now have very different concerns and very different you know challenges and we've got to respond to those you know moving forward in the future so and i think that that policy arena and obviously it's a big strand of what we're doing right now but but it's always been there and it and it's sort of been a theme right the way through so i think if you looked at the themes of the 50 years that's got to yeah. be right near the top of, of things oh, that have yeah. come out and i think just on a, on a wider sort of level and this isn't during my time here but one of the big achievements i think for the association one of the things that really stands out to me is having the students educational trust who set um, because and that was obviously introduced in, in 1982, but and it's still, you know, here now, really proud, you know, to be a trustee yeah. of that at the moment. Um, and Sarah, I know you're proud to be, you know, joining that in, in after oh, you've, you've completed your current I role. Can't wait. I 
part. Uh, so it's, it's really interesting. And it's a, a hugely important part mm. of what we do, but greatly undersung. You know, we don't do enough to talk about the, the, the sort of the benefits that that's had to lots of students who wouldn't be yeah. able to complete their studies if it wasn't for the financial support for reset. So that, to me, stands yeah. out as, as one of the big ones. Yeah, and I think you think you're absolutely right with that, Rob. You know, we don't shout about the difference that USET has made to so many students. And I'm hoping that throughout our 50-year celebrations, because we're aiming to raise £50,000 for USET over this year, that we will start to kind of raise the awareness of what USET can do for our students. You know, I think it will make a really big difference, which is one of the reasons I'm so excited to kind of be moving into that role when I finish my term. So I'm really excited about that. And moving moving on slightly, um, I'm just kind of, you know, is there any bumps that you think that maybe the Students Association has along, had along the way? Are there any bumps in the relationship with the OU that maybe we kind of want to just touch on, albeit very briefly on that, because bumps, they just don't happen. We have a wonderful relationship. <laughs> you know, I can remember a slight bump. It was when I was president and mm-hmm. uh, Sir John's mentioned the Senate. Um, yeah. Well, it was a Senate discussion um, by the technology faculty wanting to bring in home computing. Um, it seems like a million miles away now, but it was actually the first move to bring home computing onto a, a foundation course uh, in the Open University. So it was um, it was innovative, but we as students were really concerned about the transfer of costs to students because yeah. at, at that point in the proceedings to actually get that technology um, in your own home was yeah. You know, still very expensive. Um, so uh, we say we um, we ganged up with the associate lecturers <laughs> uh, and uh, and agreed that what we'd be pushing for in the Senate was um, the the costs of home computing, um, if brought in, should not exceed the set books allowance. Um, for okay. students. Um, I don't know whether you have a set books allowance now, but we, you used to then. So there was a limit to how much you would expect students to pay for books. Okay. Um, so we, we, we hung it on that hanger, if you like, and said, yeah. Yeah, that's what, uh, that's what we wanted. Well, we got it through the Senate, as Sir John uh, mentioned. <laughs> we did get it through the Senate, but the, um, OU newspaper at the time called it a wrecking amendment. Um, okay. So, so it wasn't it, it wasn't really a great bump, but um, you know the the tech we weren't the flavour of the month of the technology faculty. Um, I can imagine. <laughs> I remember that very well indeed, because I remember going to the USA conference. It must have been sometime in the early to mid nineties, probably about nineteen ninety four when this issue was was really hot. And it so happened, I, they usually asked me every year to come and make a little speech. And when I made speeches in those days, I always did it with a laptop as my prompter. So in the middle of this debate about the home computing policy, I go up to the lecture and we open my computer and sort of talk about all the wonders of the OU. And a very sort of hostile reception because the great, the great slogan was, if everyone can't have it, 
no one should have it, which <laughs> right. is a bit of an obstacle to progress. But because the irony was, there are two ironies. The first was that I went back two years later to the same, to the USA conference and was chastised because we weren't moving fast enough. And by this time, obviously, the whole world scene was changing. Yeah. And of course, yeah. in, in a way, the OU was hoist on its own petard because what we did to try and persuade USA that this was actually a good thing was to provide all the USA executives with computers at home so that they could sort of see how wonderful it was. But of course, what we hadn't realized was that this would enable USA to canvas the whole student body very efficiently <laughs> to find out what the beefs were. So that we, instead of just sort of complaining about things, they could say, this is a problem. And here is a number of people who think it's a problem. Well, yeah. why don't you do something about it? So we were riding this roller coaster. The figures are actually quite interesting. In 1995, there were 5,000 students online. In 1999, there were 50,000 students online. Wow. And in 2000, there were 110,000 student, 110, students online. So it was a huge sort of movement that was taking place. And, and while we're talking about Senate, it's, again, it seems really peculiar to look back on this, but the, the main campaigns that USA was running in, in the 90s were to get rid of what you might call the, what you, what we used to call the paternalist attitudes of the OU, but we now call parentalist attitudes, which obliged students to do a whole bunch of things which they began to feel were not necessary. Number one was in the, by the, in the early 90s still, everyone was required to do two foundation courses before they did yeah. anything else. Um, and this was beginning to be a bit sort of not necessary. So they campaigned against that. But it was not an easy battle to win because there was a deep sort of parentalist attitude among some of the OU academics who said, you know, this was good for their souls and so on. Another issue was what we called named degrees, because, yeah. again, mm -hmm. yeah. in the early 90s, everyone got a B.A., um, so we introduced a BSc and then there were named degrees where you could have all kinds of names yeah. for your degrees. And then I think the third one I'd mentioned was the ability to start your studies at level two. Now, this seems ridiculous today where everything is much more of a free for all. But in those days, these were these were really uh, big issues. Yeah. So um, and I don't, I don't think they were they were bumps because. Uh, I was very much on the side of the um, students and the associate lecturers who, because they were closer to the students, knew that these were issues and yeah. we couldn't persist with these attitudes of knowing what's good for you. But um, they're, they're interesting reflections. Thanks, John. That's, that's really interesting. My dad um, got really annoyed with my nan because my nan on every birthday card wrote his name and BSc. And my dad's degree was not a BSc, it was a BA. And she just couldn't get her head around the fact that he'd done it in sciences, yet he was a BA and got really quite snarky about it. So every birthday card, it said BSc. So she was <laughs> determined it was a BSc. <laughs> well, I mean, this was another example of, of the OU, despite being very innovative, copying Oxbridge. I mean, I did science yeah. at Oxford and I got a BA. So, you know, yeah. that was what you did. But, um, but, you know, life moves on. And, um, yeah. Really interesting. Thank you. Rob, are there any bumps 
that's that's happened during your time yes i mean i i think there's and there's lots of things around you know the ou relationship and and things that we work through together over time although i'd say you know on the whole you sort of you look back at them and think you know actually the, the two parties work together really really well really strongly always have you know in the time that i've you know been here and, and been involved so even though there's been disagreements over things at times i don't think it's ever sprawled into affecting the overall relationship has been you know pretty positive yeah. and pretty good i think for me a bump for the association during and, and quite a recent one really has been dealing with the pandemic because actually Absolutely. you know looking at that only you know two years ago but at, at the very outset we were planning for conference 2020 would have been on campus as 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 usual would have been a face-to-face yeah. uh, you know with a virtual element uh, conference um, and we would knee deep in the planning for that as a, as a team and as a, as a yeah. wider you know, student volunteers etc as well um, yeah. and of course we had to to make that change because looking at the timeline we'd sort of started in in november december uh, the year before 2019 starting planning um, and of course the announcement of the the working at home um, sort of took place from from March 2020. So, and we were due to hold the conference in June. So, uh, very quickly we had to sort of move and make a, a big change towards holding conference completely online and doing it for the first yeah. time and using you know new technology to do it that we've not done before, we've not tested before. Um, and so it was pretty scary, but also yeah. exciting to do. And I think Absolutely. it's one of the things yeah. that I'm proudest of, like looking back yeah. in terms of. Uh, the things that we've achieved one of those memories that sort of stands out that for us as a as a team and as a wider group around us to actually do that and deliver it and deliver it really successfully and to have amazing speakers that we had you know professor brian cox and yeah. all, all different <laughs> things we had as part of it and we did that in in less than 12 weeks sort of turnaround between knowing we needed to do it and 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 delivering it so that for me sort of stands out as getting over a quite a major bump and and still mm. you know delivering it Yeah, it's an incredible achievement. And coming back to you, Rob, on this one, because I think you've kind of touched on kind of things that are moving forward. What do you see as the future of the association? So I think the association, you know, has got to really think for the for the future moving forward. And, and um, you know, and, and it's interesting talking about this now, because, of course, you know, for me, I, I finish with the association in July and move on to another uh, another role elsewhere. And so I suppose looking back at what we've what we've gone through and then, you know, where we're going next, yeah. there's obviously a key point for the association now in thinking about the next strategy and the next yeah. elected group are about to come in place in, you know, from August this year and what they will move forward with. And the way the student body has changed and the fact that we shouldn't let up the sort of desire to reach out to many, many more students because yeah, I think that, I think the biggest problem for us and one of our biggest Achilles heels in the time that I've been here has been that awareness amongst all students and the fact that yeah. we are trying to represent a body of 170,000 students, you know, a super huge body of students that are incredibly diverse, that are spread to the wind everywhere, um, yeah. that are so important, um, but always overlooked, you know, in government policy debates, in Absolutely, national press, yeah. whenever there's higher education debated, our students yeah. are not you know, are not there and are not part of it. Yeah. And I think for us as the association, both that sort of reaching out to our own members and, and getting many, many more involved than we currently do, yeah. but also 
not forgetting that voice and that sort of the public policy stuff that we've touched on today that is going to be a theme moving on into the future and I hope that we continue to be sort of a force you know in terms of actually representing that distance and part-time learning student population because nobody else is doing it other than the association and and the OU we are best placed to be that voice so I hope that we continue doing that in the future. I totally agree. And I know that that's part of one of our strategy projects at the minute is creating that manifesto for lifelong learning so that we can have that space in the in the policy and public affairs space to talk about what it means to be a part time distance learner. And I think that's really important that we that we carry on focusing on that moving forward. And it's it's going to be exciting times with all the changes in government policy again. Um, (laughs) You know, and it's how do we best support and represent our students and make sure that they are as engaged with us as as they can be, you know, and reaching them and making sure that we take take into account their views. Um, So just a few closing remarks from all of you, if you don't mind. I'd really like to just hear one of your favourite memories of your time with working with the association, whether it be as you are, you were, John, as vice chancellor or you were as a student rep, Chris, or you as CEO, Rob. I'd just like to hear your kind of your favourite memory. So I'll go to Chris, then John and then Rob. So Chris and uh, John and Rob, you've got a little bit more thinking time. (laughs) Sorry, Chris. Well, that's all right. Can I have two? Um, One is. One is to say um, that, Rob, you sound like John Needham, our permanent secretary, when I was um, involved in OOSA, <laughs> because John said to the OU that without the students, there'd be no OU. And that's basically what you've just been saying. Um, so that's a favourite moment for me for now. But my other favourite moment, obviously, has got to be taking the petition down 10 Downing Street. Oh, God, um, of course. 160,000 signatures piled high on a stretcher. We made it a stretcher (laughs) so that people would know that the OU was in danger of losing its life. And also we took uh, honorary vice presidents with us. We took Jack Ashley from the Labour Party, Bill Bennion, who was then the Tory um, MP for Milton Keynes, and um, Iris, I remember Iris saying, am I supposed to knock on this door or do they know we're coming? (laughs) (laughs) So she knocked on the door and we handed in this petition, you know, bundle at a time, all of us, uh, a chain of us, and um, she turned to me and said, look at the back there, there's a great big cloud of smoke coming out she's burning it at the back (laughs) (laughs) but she wasn't she wasn't we won in the end (laughs) so that's my very favorite moment and I'm you know and the colleagues that I worked with uh, as I say John Iris um, and uh, all the other uh, presidents and uh, activists that were around at the time it was a teamwork It was team collaboration and a commitment to the OU, and you can't get better than that. John, what's about you? Well, I think I've already mentioned this 180 that the OOSA did on the home computing policy in the sort of (laughs) space of a few years. I I think one of my memories, I tried to be 
geography blind when responding to invitations to meet USA groups around the country. Mm-hmm. So I remember in this on this principle going up to Shetland to meet the uh, <laughs> the students in Shetland to show that yeah. you know all all students are our students. So that was that was a great moment. I'm glad you mentioned John Needham, the late John Needham. He was a great uh, man and a wonderful uh, spokesman. I don't remember any unpleasant discussions with John. He was just so urbane and so so pleasant, but so effective at the same time. So it's it's good that we yeah. should honor his memory in this in this podcast. Yeah. But I look back and I really think that the the 90s were really a golden decade because we had lots of money when we went into the system with the others there was the federalization of the of the system Scotland yeah. Wales and so on which was a bit of a bump but we got over that but we also achieved a common funding policy and a common quality assurance policy for nearly all the 90s and that was enormously helpful and we, we I mean you might say we made out like bandits when we started the 90s there was no money in the bank because we weren't allowed to have surpluses or deficits yeah. I think by the time by the end of the 90s we had 100 million pounds in the bank so it was quite a turnaround oh it's brilliant thank you john and rob well do you know it's it's interesting for me because i mean what amazing memories from both from chris and and from john and and sort of so i feel blessed to be in such sort of esteemed <laughs> company really because my <laughs> memories sort of don't don't match up to to yours but <laughs> I think for me, I think some of the the things that I've enjoyed most have been have been around things like conference. To be honest, yeah. has been sort of one of the highlights for me of seeing conferences, and particularly when we did them on campus and seeing our students come to campus and realise that it's not this, it's it's not a warehouse in the sky that just sends you books. <laughs> it's a yeah, real absolutely. living university place that has lecture theatres and a library yeah. and all the things that make them feel like students and yeah. and to have that one weekend where they felt like you know students at another university yeah. to see them out on the lawn on the mulberry lawn yeah. and you know enjoying company and making new friends and things around it i think for me and seeing us as a staff group supporting that and supporting those memories and it being really inclusive you know having yeah. the full variety of students there um you know no matter their challenges or or disabilities or or other or or the or the distance the location they come from to travel in yeah. to conference i think they're some of the things that uh, really stand out to me as being particular memories and for us as staff yeah. i think they're some of the things we enjoy most um to see those things along the way and sort of have those touch points with students properly yeah. when you're typically in a distance environment otherwise you don't have that same sort of emotional connection that you would have when you come together face to face so i think that stands out for me yeah and i think you've touched on one of my favorite and enduring memories is conference so um i got elected to be the faculty rep for wellbeing education and language studies and i had never been to campus at this point didn't i knew it was there somewhere in the distance but i had no idea at all and i came I came to conference. I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is an amazing place!" And for the first time, I felt like a student, and I felt like I belonged. And that was mm. an incredible feeling, absolutely incredible feeling. And I've made I made friends there that I've seen cross the stage in graduations only just a couple of weeks ago, you know. And that that to me is just incredible. And it's such a special privilege as well. um as president to be able to see people cross the stage in so many different places and i get to go to my own graduation 
in about two and a half weeks time, you know, and join in with other amazing students, you know, 600 students graduating. One of, one of my favourite memories this year, though, was going to Northern Ireland and going to Belfast. And so I, I went two times in 10 days. Um, first time as to go to the graduation and to see a hundred nurses go across the stage graduating who I'd supported during the pandemic as the faculty rep for wellbeing education and language studies. So that was incredibly special. And the shoes, my goodness me, the shoes <laughs> those people wore, wow. <laughs> and then my second one was about 10 days later when I left my house and 19 hours later came back to my house, having gone to Belfast and given a speech at Stormont to celebrate students as part of the Northern Ireland's um, manifesto launch. You know, so there's so, so much variation. There's so many things that I could take away from this experience of being present and being a student rep. It's such a special organisation to be part of. And it's, it's as I move on in my kind of my student journey, it's, it's an organisation that I will hold incredibly dear to my heart. And I think I will do for many, many years to come, as I'm sure and having listened to you, you already do. So I want to say a huge thank you to joining me today. I really appreciated it. And I wish that we could carry on because I, I'm sure you could tell me so many more things. So <laughs> I really appreciate it. So thank you, Rob. Thank you, John. And thank you, Chris, for joining us. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. Our thanks go to Chris, Sir John and Rob for their inspirational thoughts and, of course, to Sarah for hosting. We hope you enjoyed this extra episode and happy 50th birthday to us. The best is yet to come. This has been the Association Conversation Station. It was hosted by our president, Sarah Jones, and produced by Andy Evans and me, Georgia Demopoulou. See you next time.